Welcome to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at FBH and uh, thankful that you're joining us today, whether you're in person, you're online, we're just thankful that you're here. We're in, uh, we're in week two today of our series called DNA, and uh, we realize that as our church can, continues to grow, we want to make sure that we are doing a deep dive into understanding what makes us, us. Like, what are our, our core values that really define uh, who it is that we are? And so last week, we took most of our time to emphasize our, our first core value, which is the ability to present truth. That's number one. That's always going to be uh, going to be number one. And so we, in, in everything we do, we both want to present the truth of the Bible from the stage, as well as have the courage to present the truth of the gospel to those people who are already in our uh, our relational world. We said that, and we will hold to the idea that we want to make it hard for people in Kings County to go to hell. That's our role. That's our that's our desire. And so as far as I'm concerned, I think that all churches should have this at the center of what they're doing. Everything that we do flows from that conviction of the gospel message of Jesus, which is simply, we are sinners and he went to the cross to save us, right? So at the end of the day, that's largely what we're going to be about. That's that's number one. So now we kind of start to branch off a little bit from, from other churches. And while a lot of churches may espouse some of these, uh, these ideas, some of these pieces of our DNA, these, these core values should largely help guide and steer us in our decision-making process, which is why uh, core value number two is simply this. We want to love the entire family. That's our goal. We want to love the entire family. We believe that families are an integral part of our ministries, and we will strive to love and minister to the entire family and welcome newcomers into the church family as well. That's our heart. And uh, I don't, I, I'm not a normal, like, on Mother's Day, we're going to preach about mom sermons because I'm a, I'm, I'm a big believer in the fact that people don't come to church to hear about mom being preached. They come to church to hear about Jesus being preached. I'm not going to preach about Mary. I'm not going to do any of those things. But man, when we were kind of walking through this series, it's like, what? Core value number two falls on Mother's Day? That's kind of serendipitous. Or it's the idea that God was like, you know what? This is probably a really good day to preach on the fact that we're loving the entire family. So we're going to hear a little bit a little bit about, uh, about moms a little bit today and that sort of thing. But, but even five years ago, when I was, when I was called to this, to this place, called to be the pastor here, it was clear that it was a, a high-value priority of FBH before I even walked into this place that we are going to love the entire family. This, this is something that has always been true of, of this church. But they just simply reaffirmed the fact that, that we care about families by calling me. Right? It's, not like, it's not like I walked in and we had like one kid and then we were like, surprise, you get to pay for insurance for the other four or anything like that. Like when I, when I, when I got this job in the first place, we had all five of our kids and maybe it was simply they just wanted to grow their kids' ministry numbers. I don't know. And, but at the end of the day, the, the, the church affirms the idea of loving the entire family well. Um, even if you, you know, I'm sorry, I get it, I get it. We're, we're probably slightly more crazy in our family with the amount of kids that we have and that sort of thing. And some of you have us beat to those of you who have us beat, uh, God bless you. Um, but uh, yeah, I know exactly who said woo. Um, but, uh, but we want to do our best. We want to do our best to love all of your kids, to love 
all of, all of you, to love your parents, to love the grandparents. And this is the reason why so much of what we do has to do with families and allowing families a safe place to come to our church, to come to different events that we have, to prioritize our kids' ministry at the same time as our small groups like Wednesday nights. And we just, we just finished them last week. But Wednesday nights, it's not an accident that we're like, hey, let's have kids' ministry at the same time that we offer over 50% of our small groups. Why? Because we want your kids to be able to experience kids' ministry while you are growing in your faith as well. And so that way you're both getting fed at the same time and hopefully on the way home rather than arguing about whether or not your kids are allowed to have a snack or not, you can talk about the fact that Jesus has a major impact on your life. So much so that, man, yeah, me and mom are in small group and you guys are doing, doing your groups back there and all of all of that stuff. So we believe that the family is the primary training ground for kids and adults alike to come into a saving relationship with Jesus and beyond that to become more like Christ. Not just Jesus the Savior, but Jesus as Lord of their life as, as well. One of the most quoted Bible verses by Christian parents and a lot of times Christian teachers is Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 22.6 says, train a child in the way that he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I'm sure I'm not the only pastor preaching about that this morning. We want to train up our kids in the way that we should go. And this is actually largely supported by a whole bunch of data. There's a, a group, it's called the Barna Group, uh, and they did a nationwide survey, survey uh, and it provided some statistical support for this verse. This isn't just something that like the author of Proverbs was like, you know what, this is a good idea. We'll try. No, this is like actually backed by data. It actually shows that adults who regularly attended church as kids, okay, adults who attended church as kids were much more likely than their unchurched peers to be involved in church-based and personal spiritual activities, Okay, so if you grew up going to church, you're way more likely to stay in church. If you grew up going to church, you're way more likely to practice spiritual disciplines of, of some sort. The study actually found that roughly 7 out of 10 American adults, it was 71% of American adults, had a period of time during their childhood when they regularly attended Christian church. So if you're sitting here today, the odds are is that you attended church when you were younger as well because your parents brought you here. Apparently old habits kind of die hard because the majority of those who attended church as a youngster still attend regularly today. And a large majority of those who were not churchgoers as kids are still absent from churches today. It's 78%. That means only 22% of you in here, if you, we were representative of this, this sample group that they pulled, only 22% of you in here are in here and you didn't go to church when you were younger. That's a crazy statistic. And it's an important statistic for us to remember as we're talking about loving the entire family. Especially because we know that nationally church attendance is declining by generation. Generation after generation is slowly but surely leaving the church, regardless of childhood experiences. But the decline is actually steeper among adults who did not go to church as a kid. When you look at, kid, when you look at adults age 55 and older who attended church as a kid, two-thirds still regularly attend. It's actually about 68%. Okay, so that's good news. It's okay, 68%. The bad news is the proportion drops to just half when you get to adults under 35 who were churched when they were young. That means younger generations are falling away from faith. Younger generations are actually fleeing the church in, in droves. 
So regardless of those trends, the best way to make sure that your kids remain in church and committed to Christ is to simply bring them to church. That's largely what this study is saying. Your kids have better odds of loving Jesus if all you do is simply bring them to church on a regular basis. So attending church over the course of, of many years appears to have affected the religious practices of these people as well. It's not just that they show up in church or anything like that. They, they, it actually influences how much they pray, how much they read, all that stuff. The this, this survey discovered that adults who attended church as a kid are twice as, likely, twice as likely to read their Bible during the week. They are twice as likely to attend a church worship service in a, t- in a typical week and twice as likely to pray to God during a typical week. Why? Because they were in church. That's it. That's literally, that is the bar. Because they were church. The only discouraging part of this entire survey is that regardless of your kids' upbringing, regardless if they come to church or not, that they, they seem to be more affected by outside influences than by the truth of the gospel. It's a hard thing. Statistically speaking, there is almost no difference in opinion about cultural matters between people who attended church when they were young and people who didn't. And that's sad. That means the culture is winning in this war. And on the surface, it seems like terrible news. We should just call it a day and let kind of culture be culture, let culture do what it does and let it run its course. And we'll simply become just a post-Christian nation and call call it a day. But I actually think the research was done based around people who only went to church. I think that was the main question that was asked. Actually, no, it was the main question that was asked was simply, do you attend church? And then they did a whole bunch of follow-up questions. The questions weren't to people who were actively committed to and following Jesus and what he taught. And I think that's the distinction between the two. So where does this leave us? Where does this leave us today? I think it leaves us at a point where we need to understand that your faith, your personal faith in this room is the largest influencing factor regarding whether or not your kids are going to follow Jesus one day. Your faith. You know, we get parents all the time who come in and just like, yeah, I want to make my kids making some bad decisions. He's really screwing up. How do I make sure that my kids are going to be in church? You know, my kids are going to college soon. How do I make sure that they're going to continue to follow Jesus? Like, what can I do? What can I do to make sure? Show them. Show them how to follow Jesus. Show them with your faith what it looks like. Don't merely talk about it. Don't just drag them to church on a regular basis. Show them what it looks like. Put your faith on display for them to be able to see what it means to actually follow Jesus. And for those of you who are in church, and can I just say for a second, for those of you who are in church today and you weren't raised in church, man, kudos to you guys. You have changed your family tree by committing to Jesus in such a way that the people who are coming after you, the generations who are coming after you, are going to be able to follow Jesus. And not just your kids, but your grandkids and your great-grandkids have a better shot at knowing Jesus because of the fact that you are dedicated to him as well. So congratulations to, to all of you. But hear me. If the only thing you are doing to influence your kids 
towards loving Jesus is dropping them off at our kids' ministry on Sundays or Wednesdays, and there's no follow-up conversations, no truth being discussed in your home after that, then you are gambling with the future spiritual health of your kids. And that's scary. So let's go Old Testament on this thing. Let's pull an example from a book, the book of Joshua. Joshua is the sixth book in your Bible, so it's going to be on the left-hand side as you, as you open your Bible. And it's specifically going to be in Joshua chapter 24. We're going to hit verses 14 through 18. This is what it says. It's on the screen. It says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. That's a really big introductory line right there. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve either gods, to serve other gods. It was the Lord your, our God himself who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. This is Joshua. Now in this, this chapter of Joshua, he's at the very end of his life. And I know for a lot of us, we, we honed in on that, that verse 16, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we hone in on it because a lot of us have like a painted plaque or something like that, a piece of wood hung nicely over our doorframe that says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? Because it's always good to pull a verse out of context and be like, you know what? That's what's going to go up there. And that is true. That is Joshua's desire. But let's get a little bit more context when it comes to what it is that he is, he is actually talking about. See, Joshua, in the book of Joshua, he has taken over as leader of the Israelites after Moses largely leads them and wanders them around the desert for 40 years. Because largely, Moses refused to trust God at one point in time. The end of the book of Deuteronomy... It ends with the death of Moses, and the book of Joshua is about his life and about his life leading the Israelites into the land that God had promised them, right, the promised land. And so in the book of Joshua, largely he went to great lengths to make sure that the Israelites were walking with the Lord and making him Lord of their lives. He wanted to make sure they were going to continue to worship God in word, continue to worship God in deed. And so as he is dying, he kind of retells the history of the Israelites. And he reminds them to stay true to the God who delivered on his promise to get them out of Egypt and into the promised land. That's what Joshua wants for them. These are some of his last recorded words. And these words, as you read the entirety of 24, actually, if you go back to 23, Joshua thought he was dying in chapter 23, and God was like, nope, you're not dead yet. I'm still going to use you. So then he continues to, to write in 24 as well. But these words are, are heavy, and they're deep, and they're almost like a father concerned for the future of his family as you're looking at it. And as he says, as for me and my house, he's not just talking about, like, his kids, Right? He's not just like talking about like his wife or anything. Like he is talking about the entire nation of Israel at this point. As for me and my house, the God's chosen people, we will 
serve the Lord. So he goes to great lengths in order to do this. And as I listen, I can just kind of hear the concern of a parent. I can even hear like my own mom and dad saying some of these things to me, like telling me to, to fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Right? That's the first, the first verse there, verse 14. Fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Forget about everything else. Forget about the other idols that you worshiped. Forget about the wealth that you care too much about. Forget about becoming famous for the sake of being famous. Forget about, forget about your envy that you're so kind of entangled with. Forget about all of those petty little gods that are simply taking time away from what really matters. Because at the end of the day, what really matters is that you would fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. That's what this says. Fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. Can I just say for a second, and this, this largely ties into to last week, we want to be, do a better job at facilitating a, a culture of service here at FBH. We can't do it all. Our volunteers can't do it all. And that's why last week when we had like this hard conversation about the need for kids, uh, kids helpers in kids ministry, like volunteers and that sort of thing, right? And it was funny. We got a couple, a couple of the responses. And one of the questions is, is, why is it that you want to serve in kids ministry? I had two, two separate responses to say, because Peter told me to. <laughs> it's like, cool, cool. But maybe you're like me and you're like, you know what? Serving in kids ministry, I would rather not. <laughs> I would rather do something else because kids are hard, right? They're exhausting. And I'm not talking about all yours. I'm just talking about my five, right? Like they're difficult, you know? And so it takes somebody who is gifted with kids to serve in kids ministry, who love kids and all of that stuff. And so if you're like me, like I would never go back there and serve in kids ministry. Like as I was walking out here, some of your kids were like going down the hallway and I was like fist bump, fist bump, fist bump. And like that was the extent of the kids ministry I will do today, right? And for some of you, I recognize that's, that's the same. And so if you're like, I want to serve somewhere, but I don't want to serve in kids' ministry, don't serve in kids' ministry. Man, maybe you're musical and you want to be, on the band, be in the band and come up here and serve on a regular basis. We have need. You know, right now, Brian is our only piano player that we have. That's why this thing never comes off stage. He was like, I want to play my guitar, but I can't. I don't have anybody else to help me. Or maybe you're like a productions person and you're really good at clicking a mouse. It's not hard. We just need literally somebody to click a mouse, right? Or maybe you're, you got like safety first responder blood in you. I don't know if that's a blood type or not, but maybe like that's who you are as a person. Last week we had a, a medical issue that happened during Sunday morning and we didn't feel as prepared as we should have for that medical emergency, right? And we got a safety team. So if that's you, help serve. What does serving do? It puts us in our proper, sp our, our proper space in respect to who God is. And so that's why Joshua says, fear the Lord and serve him. It doesn't just say fear the Lord. It says, fear the Lord and, and serve him. He says in verse 15, he says, you're going to serve someone. And he says, you're going to serve something. And if it isn't the Lord, then it's probably going to be something less desirable, probably going to be something less important, and probably going to lead you somewhere poorly. Let me ask you a question, a personal question. You don't have to answer it or anything like that. But I think we largely forget about the fact that where we spend our time, where we spend our energy talking about things, being concerned about, like where we spend all of that time is what our kids are going to catch from us. 
what the next generation is going to catch from us. So let me ask you a question. Do your kids know more about your political stance than they do about your faith? Do your kids know more about where you stand politically than they know about what God has done in your life? And I'm not trying to vilify politics or anything like that, though I'm probably on pretty solid ground if I were to vilify politics, but I'm not trying to vilify anything like that. I'm not trying to vilify the, the importance of being involved in that process as Americans and that sort of thing. But what I am saying is those things are secondary to fearing the Lord and serving him faithfully. Absolutely secondary. So the question is, is who are you going to serve? And for Joshua, he says in verse 16, little plaque, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And here's the the sad reality. Moms are oftentimes doing doing this part away from dads. So this is kind of a, like, go mom, you're awesome, and also like a kick in the butt to dads too. And so if anybody is upset, I said, but uh, Peter at fbhanford.org, you can uh, email me there. Um, But in another study Barna did back in 2007, it actually shows that more than three quarters of moms identify family as their highest priority. And at the same time, three quarters of dads identify identify families as the highest priority. So about the same. The interesting thing was the next question is how much does your faith influence your life? For moms, it stayed pretty close to steady. It stayed at about 71%. For dad, it drops dramatically by about 15% down to the low 60%. Hear me, it's not enough to have your family be important to you. Apart from faith, apart from actively being involved in the church, your kids do not stand as good a chance at coming to faith as they would if both parents stepped up to the plate. And right now in America, the moms are doing the heavy lifting. When it comes to spiritual perspectives, a majority of moms said that they've been greatly transformed by their faith, while only half of fathers shared that same, that shared that same experience. Also, 75% of moms said their faith was very important in their lives. While this view was true of only two-thirds of dads, moms were also most likely than fathers to be born-again Christians, to say they were absolutely committed to Christianity and to embrace this personal responsibility to share their faith in Jesus with other people. Moms, this is why we love you. Dads, step up to the plate. Moms are also more religiously active. In a typical week, moms are more likely than dads to attend church, to pray, to read, read the Bible, to participate in a small group, to attend some sort of Sunday school class, and to volunteer some of their time with a nonprofit somewhere. Two things with that. Moms, great, great job. Dads, step up to the plate. Going back to Joshua, though. So after this point, right, where, where Joshua's like, look, you need to fear God and you need to serve him faithfully in everything that you do. Do those two things. But after this point, the Israelites respond. The Israelites that he's talking to at this point while he's in his last days on earth, while he's, on, while he's actively, actively dying, the Israelites, they rally to him. They're like, yes, I, like, I am going to, like, how do they rally? They talk about what God did for who. If you go back and read those verses, they talk about what God did for their parents. 
They don't talk about how like God just showed up in their life. They talk about the history of their family and how God showed up in their lives. They are largely standing on the faith of their parents. They are standing on the faith of their grandparents at this point. And it's really cool to see because you can, you can look at that, that history of the Israelites at that point. And he encourages the next generation to live for the Lord by reminding them of God's faithfulness, their parents, their grandparents' faithfulness, all of that stuff. But this isn't just some, some like random guy who heard stories about God's faithfulness. Like Joshua's not. Joshua lived it. I know like timelines of like Old Testament get like a little bit, a little bit jarred and a little bit funny, right? Like we have Genesis and we have Exodus, right? And then all of a sudden, Exodus, we have, we have Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and then we have Joshua. How much time had passed between Exodus and Joshua? 40 years. And we don't think about that. So Joshua is alive during this time of the Exodus, the Old Testament Exodus of the Israelites. Joshua was born into slavery, as a matter of fact. He was a slave in Egypt. And he grew up as a slave in Egypt. But his parents, though, his parents had faith at a time when they shouldn't have had any faith. They had hope in a time when they shouldn't have had any hope. Because, again, they're just like under this slavery, in this regime under Egypt. But Joshua, his dad named him something very important. In the Old Testament at this time, names are incredibly important. What the names mean specifically. And so Joshua's parents name him very specifically. His name, Joshua, which means salvation. Joshua's parents have faith in the next generation. They have faith in their son that God was going to do what he promised them he was going to do. His parents had that hope. And so Joshua, man, Joshua is there in Egypt for the plagues as he's growing up. He was there for the crossing of the Red, the Red Sea. Joshua went up on a mountain with Moses to meet with God about how the Israelites were supposed to, were supposed to worship. He went to scout out the promised land with a bunch of other spies. And him and one other guy, Caleb, were the only two guys to say, you know what? God is going to deliver us over our enemies. Joshua had faith in that point. Joshua was there for the manna from heaven. He was there when God delivered the Israelites over and over and over again. This nation of millions of people as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until Moses died and was appointed successor over all of them. Joshua's house was the Israelite nation. And then as Joshua submitted to God, city after city after city fell and God delivered on his promised land to the nation of Israel under his care. So in this last passage of Joshua's life, we tell him, we see him telling his followers to submit to God and no one else. And so to make a, make a long story short with it, they did. That generation that followed Joshua, the generation of, of kids who were largely born, probably wandering in the wilderness, born in the desert without a home, that generation of kids said, I will continue to follow God. Why? Because of the faith of their parents. That's why. And the sad part of all of it is largely that after that next generation was gone, they began to fall away from God and started worshiping a whole bunch of different idols. So what does that tell us? Your faith can't skip a generation. Your faith is the most important piece to your kids coming to faith. 
Your personal faith has everything to do it and do with it. And that's why we want to love the entire family well, right? We want to give every opportunity to allow you and your kids to encounter God in a way that's, that's fun and engaging and truthful and challenging so, so faith can be experienced together. So when you're gone, your faith can help theirs remain steadfast. You're not going to be here forever. But your legacy will. Your legacy carries on. We've talked about this before, but it's Mother's Day, so I get to talk about a story about my mom. Um, My mom modeled humility and continues to model humility and faithfulness when it comes to her faith. She's not a loud leader. She's not an over-the-top leader. She's not a stage leader, right? Like she is that person who just faithfully serves behind the scenes over and over and over again. And that's the church side of things. But I got an opportunity to really begin to see my mom's faith lived out when I was about in high school. Because before I would, you know, wake up with just enough time to get to school. Well, high school I had to start getting up because of practice, had to get up early. And so she was up early as well. And so did the typical mom thing. She didn't make me set an alarm. I'll wake you up, right? And so she came, woke me up, and I came out after getting all my stuff ready for practice. And there she was sitting at the dining room table next to the kitchen. I remember it. It's always, it was dark outside, Bible open, terrible cup of instant coffee sitting next to her. And just like, just being in the word and praying and spending time with Jesus. And it's not like I went and like I sat down with her and I was like, mom, tell me what you're reading today or anything like that. Like she didn't force anything on me. She wasn't like, hey, we're going to read about transubstantiation today or any, like, like she largely just modeled what loving God looked like. And so I'd go, I'd give her a hug. She had toasted a bagel and put cream cheese on it for me. And it was like walking out the door to practice and she would go back to her quiet time. It was modeled to me by my mom. My dad modeled hard work and steadfastness. He served on boards. He made it a priority to be at church and have dinner around the kitchen table with our entire family as often as possible. My parents understood that if, if I was going to walk with the Lord one day, that it started with them modeling that for me. And I think at one point my dad actually regretted it. I think he, he, he modeled it too well because at one point my dad actually tried to talk me out of going into ministry. I was like, this is your fault, man. Like, <laughs> sorry. But they modeled their faith is responsible for my faith. And that's what we want to make sure we provide opportunities for people from birth through 120 years old to engage with a community of believers who believe the same thing that you do so you can sharpen your faith and pass it down to the next generation. And if you make it to 121, we'll make an exception and you can still come. I'm assuming if you know Jesus, that's your desire as well for the next generation to know him and love him. So the question today is less about moms and more about Jesus. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, anybody who has any sort of sway with any, like are you modeling your faith in such a way that the next generation of believers could, like Joshua, rely on your faith to remain steadfast in theirs? And I think that's a hard question to answer. But are you actively engaging in conversations with your kids and grandkids about the goodness of God? Or are you just telling funny stories? You can do both. They're not mutually exclusive. And I'm not saying you need to have a Bible study with them. 
but are you celebrating what God has done in your life with them? Are you turning hard conversations about the world back to theological truths that you study in your small groups or that you have found in the word? A few weeks back, I got to baptize my son Colin, right? And uh, we, we largely talked through everything, and he knew what he was doing when it came to baptism, that, you know, what it represented, and was he a follower of Jesus and all of that stuff. But about two weeks afterwards, he came up to my wife, Sarah, and uh, he just asked the question, Mom, what happens if I mess up after I get baptized, right? And my first thought was like, what'd you break, <laughs> right? Classic dad first thought. Um, but Sarah handled it like a champ. She handles those things better, better than I do. And she, she had an option at that point. Do I do whatever is the most urgent thing, which is, you know, chores and getting the house taken care of and getting dinner on the table and doing all of these other things or being at work or whatever. Do, do, do I engage in that or do I sit and engage in, in a theological conversation that my eight-year-old is proposing to me? And he doesn't know it's a theological conversation. He got bored halfway through the answer. Like any good eight-year-old would. But she had a conversation about it in a way that he could understand that Jesus loves him, loves him still. That he died on the cross not just for the sins that he had committed before he came to faith, before he got baptized, but for all of the times that he is going to mess up in the future as well. And then he said, okay, and he left, right? But, but that, and that's not going to change his life. That one conversation is not going to cement his faith for the rest of his life. But that slow, steady drip of what a lived out faith looks like that encourages the family to move forward and continue to engage in a relationship with Jesus. Church, what would it, what would it look like if we simply loved the family well? by representing the truth of the gospel to those who were entrusted to us by God. That, that we recognize that our faith is paramount to our kids' faith, is paramount to your grandkids' faith, to your niece's faith, to your nephew's faith, that the way that you live your life is being watched by the next generation. I think there would be much fewer weekends when our kids' ministry had low numbers. Because we would understand that sleep, that tournaments, that vacations, that competitions, that all of those other things, whatever it may be, are far less important than the long-term spiritual health of our kids who come after us. I want nothing more than in many, many, many years from now for my kids to be able to enter into eternity with me there with them. I want to know with a clear conscience that I did everything in my power to make sure that my kids knew, understood, and came to a saving faith of the gospel. So when I'm in heaven, they can hang out with me too. My desire is that our kids could stand on our faith and in turn their kids stand on their faith simply because we were dedicated to telling the next generation that Jesus came to earth to rescue us from our sin by dying on a cross for all mankind so we could be with him forever. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, first of all, just thank you for moms. <sighs> moms are awesome. 
And I'm so thankful for them and everything that they do, all the things that they do that, that we don't even remember, we don't even know that they do to make the world run. Thank you for them, and I pray they're celebrated well today. But God, this morning, even though we're celebrating moms, we, we focus on you, and we focus on the gospel, and we focus on the fact that you sent your son to, to pave a way for each and every one of us, and that it's our responsibility to share that with the next generation of believers that they would be able to stand on our faith when there's waivers. And so God, if there's those here this morning who maybe have not said yes to you or maybe they need to re-up with you, I don't know where they're at this morning, Father, but if that's you this morning with heads still bowed and eyes still closed and you want to make a profession of faith for the first time to be able to impact your kids for eternity, you can simply pray along with me and say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. But B, I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me, for all of my sins that I've ever committed and that I ever will commit. But C, I choose to follow you every single day, which means allowing my faith to be on display for my kids to be able to see. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen.